Can we turn, please, to the book of Genesis, the last chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis 50, and we're going to read from verse 7 of the chapter, the book of Genesis, chapter 50, and we're going to read from the seventh verse of the chapter. Genesis 50 and verse 7. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. And all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians, wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abram bought with the field of a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned unto Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, uh, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin that they did unto thee, evil, and now we pray, forgive the trespass of thy servants, of the God of thy father. And, of, uh, and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts afresh. Verse 20 is the one that we want to focus on today. Let's just unite in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for the opportunity of coming to Thee afresh today. We thank, Lord, of the scene that is before us. We think of the fear of uh, Jacob's uh, brethren, or Joseph's brethren, rather. And we thank, Lord, of how uh, they were afraid of what would happen. And yet, Lord, we thank Thee that Thou hadst control of all of that situation. And we pray, gracious God, that thou wouldst come and meet with us today and bless as we gather 
at thy feet. We pray that thou wouldst encourage our hearts and lift up our souls to thee. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you've ever compared the back of a tapestry to the front. The front of the tapestry is a work of art, and many of the best of them are treated as works of art by the museums of this world, and they will collect good examples of uh, beautiful forms of art. But if you examine the back of a tapestry, it's a very different uh, kettle of fish because there'll be threads sticking out and knots, and there's an image that's a little bit like the image that's on the front of the tapestry, but it is uh, different colored threads, and there's a sort of, it's not the nuance and the uh, clarity of the uh, image that's on the front. And in many ways, people have used the image of the tapestry as an illustration of the dealings of God with us in this life. I think really it stemmed from a poem that was written by Corrie ten Boom, The Master Weaver's Plan. And in the poem she said, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the color he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. And you know, we only see the underside of God's tapestry of life. But while we recognize that God is weaving that tapestry, we also at times are very discontented when the sorrows come. We know that there are dark threads that God weaves into the tapestry of our lives, but it doesn't save us at times from struggling with the times when we go through the darkness or go through the sorrows. We struggle with the providences of God. You say, what is providence? Well, providence is the ongoing provision of God that he gives to his children, especially to all of his creatures, but especially to his children in day by day through natural causes in the midst of trials. God provides for his people. And sometimes when there is suffering, maybe a job is lost, or maybe we're facing sickness, or maybe uncertainty looms, and in those days it's very easy for us to get down and maybe even to blame God for the things that we are facing. And in this passage of Scripture, we find how that Joseph looks at the trials of his life. And here are the, uh, his brothers, and they, Jacob has just died here. And when Jacob has died, they think, well, Joseph now has waited until our father has died, and now he's going to get revenge for the fact that we sold him into slavery in Egypt and all the things that we did to him. 
And so they plead for mercy. If you look at Genesis 50 and verse 17, they go and they plead for mercy and they say, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did that for they did unto the evil, and now we pray thee forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And it says that uh, when Joseph heard all of this, that he wept, and he sums it up in verse nineteen and twenty. It says Joseph said, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And in all the weaving God had done in the tapestry of Joseph's life, he could recognize the hand of God and he could see that all things at the end of the day had worked together for good. God had produced something good in the end. And so we want to think about what we do or how we struggle when things in life don't make sense. We want to think about our struggles with God's tapestry in our life. And there are a number of things that I want us to think about as we think of this subject. And first of all, I want us to consider the reality of God's providence. Joseph says here in verse 20 to his brethren, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And you'll notice how Joseph here implies and uh, really states that God had been overruling and superintending his life, that God had had a purpose in all that had taken place in his life. And we know from the rest of Scripture that God does superintend the affairs of our lives, that God is in control. You say, what is providence? Well, providence, the shorter catechism says, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. The Heidelberg Catechism says, in answer to a question, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have nothing be it heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body, and further, he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage, for he is able to do it being almighty God and willing, being a faithful father. I want us to realize that God is in control. I want you to see that providences, God's providences, are detailed. The Shorter Catechism says that it is his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. And here, Joseph is indicating that even in the dark days of his life, that God was superintending all of his actions and all of the things that happened to him. And perhaps a good illustration of the way that God superintends our life is when Saul was anointed as king, or when he was told he was going to be anointed king, he was going to be the king of Israel, and Samuel came to him and told him what would happen. 
And he told uh, Saul that in the next several hours, it says in 1 Samuel 10 and verse 3, and there shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids and another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of, of wine. So the Lord said, or through the prophet he said, you'll meet three men, one will have three kids, one will have three loaves, and another will have a bottle of wine. Now you think of all that it took to bring those things to pass, because that's exactly what happened. He met a man with three goats. He met a man with uh, three loaves of bread. And he met a man with a bottle of wine. And you can see that even in the very smallest details that God was superintending his life. We do not understand life in many ways, but we think of what the preacher said in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 3, he speaks about the changing seasons. And he says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. And he goes on to speak about all of these different categories. But you can see that all things, the good and the bad and everything in between, there is a season. And God has set the season. He sort of sums it up in verse 1. He says, to everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And God works out the mosaic and the tapestry, and he puts it all together, and the weaver, the mighty weaver, threads it all together into the exquisite tapestry that, uh, in the end, will proclaim that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So, providence is detailed, but also providence is difficult. It's mysterious. There are many things that we don't understand about the providences of God. John Flavel, the Puritan, wrote a volume in 1676 called The Mystery of Providence, and it is still in publication today. But he wrote it was based upon the text, God that performeth all things to me, from Psalm 57 and verse 2. And he set out in the book, he richly illustrated from the lives of believers and from church history and from the scriptures about the ways of God that we often do not understand. And he called it the mystery of providence because in many ways it is a mystery. You think of the verse in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the fact is, there are many things that happen in our lives that we don't understand, that it is hard to ex explain. Maybe there is a bully, and he bullies God's people, or a bully, maybe has bullied you in the past. Maybe has uh, made light of your faith, and uh, has made your uh, life a, a struggle in the midst, maybe of the workplace, or wherever it is. And you wonder how God allows that person to do that thing. But maybe God knows that in a few years that person is going to be saved and be a trophy of grace. Or maybe, if it's maybe in a university context or something like that, that this person is going to do a great thing, is going to save a life. 
or he's going to, or she is going to discover something that's going to be a benefit to mankind. God knows the end from the beginning, and so we've got to leave it all in the hand of God. Obadiah Sedgwick wrote, No one is so fit to govern the world as he who made it. And we've just to be content to allow God to have uh, the sovereignty in our lives. So providence can be difficult. We don't understand many times the ways of God. But also providence is delightful. Because nothing is more practical than the doctrine of providence. To realize that God does feed and God does provide. That God does have a plan. That there is a purpose. That this world is not purposeless. That we're not just um, living from day to day. And there's no rhyme or reason to all that's in the world. Many atheists, and that's all that they can lean on. There is no purpose. There is no rhyme or reason to anything if you don't believe in God. But there is a purpose. There is something. There is a plan that has been worked out. B.B. Warfield said everywhere he sees God in his mighty uh, stepping, everywhere he feels the working of his mighty arm, the throbbing of his mighty heart. And my, what peace we can have when we realize that God is our refuge and strength, that he is a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, he says, will we not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? But I want you to think about the reality of God's providence, that God does superintend all things. But then I want you to think about the resentment of God's providence. Now, we see in the portion of Scripture that Joseph, by the time that he speaks here, has got over his resentment or any resentment that he might have had with the providence of God. You think of how Joseph was put into, he was sold first of all as a slave into Egypt by his brethren, and then he was lied against by his master's wife, who sought to entice him into sin, and then he was put in prison, and there he languished for years. And how he helped the chief baker and the chief butler, and how the chief butler forgot him, and he languished even more years in the prison. I'm sure at times that Joseph thought to himself, I'm trying to serve God, and I'm trying to do my best, and I'm wondering what God is doing. Is God there at all? Is God looking after me? And maybe you've felt at times the same. Maybe there has been a resentment at others and the wicked and so on. And there have been times when you've thought, wonder what God is doing. Is God there at all? And we find that in the book of uh, the Word of God, how that many times God's people have gone through the same. You think of Jonah in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. And God had a purpose to save Nineveh. And he told the prophet to go to Nineveh. But it says that Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Oh, there he was. He he was a prophet of God. He was a man of God. He had been used of God in the past. And God had used him in a singular fashion. But here he is. And when he's told what God wants him to do, he's filled with dismay. You think of the prophet Habakkuk 
when he was told about the purpose of God in bringing the Chaldeans into the land as a punishment. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't uh, fathom what God was doing, and he began to argue. And we think of how the psalmist there in the psalm that we sang, Psalm 73, and Asaph is the psalmist, and he says in verses 2 and 3 when he looked at the wicked, but as for me, my feet were almost gone, My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And here's the man of God, and he's pouring out his life in service to God. And he says, I think God's been kinder to the wicked than he is to me. The wicked prosper, and I've kept my heart pure, and I don't seem to be getting on the way that they're getting on. And that's how the psalmist began to feel. And he says in verse 12 and 13, he says, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency. What's the use? What's the use of serving God when I don't seem to advance when things seem to go wrong? Maybe you've cried, it's not fair, God. It's not fair, Lord. I've lived my life for you. I've served you. And still I'm struggling. And I'm going through these dark periods and all these things that I have to face. And we see how that there is sometimes this resentment against God that takes place. You think of the elder brother in the parable of the uh, prodigal son. And when the younger brother who had wasted his substance came home, the father made a big party for him. And it says in Luke 15 and verse 28 about the elder brother, and he was angry and would not go in. And he told his father, Lo, these years I do, do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. And the older brother is angry. And there is a, there is a sort of a common theme between all of these people. They're all hard workers. They're all obedient. They're all marvelous servants of God. And when they feel that they are not getting on, and when they're not feeling the blessings that they feel that they ought to uh, have, darkness envelops their heart. And I think perhaps that there is a particular um, temptation for God's people, mature believers. Uh, This has been a great issue on the mission field where missionaries have gone out and given their lives to God, and at times they feel as if they're forgotten out there, and where they begin to resent God. And why am I going through all these hardships? There's so much that I lack. And people at home, they have their comforts, and they have all the things, but I don't have these things. Why is God doing this to me? There's a great mystery here. But when women... God says the answer is to know and trust the weaver. To know that God in the end is making something beautiful. That God can take the broken and the hopeless situation, one that we can't understand. And he actually calls us to live uh, exclusively seeing the underside of the tapestry. And we don't know all of the difficulties and what God is planning, but we know that God is working out everything for good. Joseph is able to say 
at the end of his life, looking back, he's all the dark times and the jail, uh, years languishing in that Egyptian jail. He says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass that it is this day to save much people alive. And we can rest in that, that God is working everything together for good. But then I want you to see something else, not only the reality of God's providence and the resentment of God's providence, but I want us to think about the response to God's providence. I can see it some here. Here's Moses, or Joseph, rather, and he begins to now look back. He's at the end of his life, as it were. He's come through all of the trials and problems. He knows the truth of Romans 8 and 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God. And he's able to testify it. And you can see some of the things that are true of him. First of all, you can see that he is thankful. He's thankful for God, to God, even for the darknesses. He's thankful even when he languished in prison. He's thankful when he was sold as a slave into Egypt. And he's thankful now that he's not going through these things. He's thankful now for the prosperity that he has. And God has made him thankful. You think of what the psalmist says in Psalm 95, verses 1 to 3. He says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. And sometimes we forget to be thankful to God. Thankful for even the hard things and the difficult times. The things that taught us, the things that molded us. The things that put pressure on us in order to make us conformable into the image of God. We are thankful. You can see thankfulness here. You can see something else. You can see confidence. Joseph even through all of his experiences, come to have confidence in the ways of God. He's still not able sometimes to see all of the ways that God is working, but he can see the way that God has brought him through and what God has done, that now he's confident that God means it all together for good to him. We live in a dangerous world. It's a world of disaster and disease and war, People are swept into eternity day by day. Evil men oppress. Even the godly and the innocent people are losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. The devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But what confidence we can have that God is still on the throne. He is on the throne. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, all the various dealings of God with his children do by a special providence turn to their good. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such his keepers' covenant. Psalm 25, verse 10. And he concluded, he said this, the grand reason why all things work for good is the near and dear interest which God has in his people. The Lord has made a covenant with them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. We are his. He loves us with an everlasting love. 
It says in Psalm 84 and 11, The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. We are the apple of his eye. We are engraven in the palms of his hand. And when we have a God-centered view of what is taking place in this world, it gives us a mighty confidence. We can look at all that's taking place, and we do not fear. We don't need to have anxiety. We don't need to have, be filled with worry the way that the world is filled with worry about climate change or whatever. We know that God has all things in his hand. And by that means, we can have confidence in our service. You think of many of God's servants, and they had to go through hard times in their service. You think of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the prophets, and how Jeremiah or Ezekiel had to face people who were going to be as an adamant stone. They were going to be absolutely hard against the message. And how Jeremiah was taken and put in prison, and they saw so very little outward fruit for their ministry. And yet God was using them. God had a plan and purpose in all that they did. And you know, maybe sometimes we look at our service and you think to yourself, what have I done? What have I done? And yet if we're in the hands of God and we're wanting to be obedient to him, we have to leave all things in his hands. We can be confident in our service and we can be confident in the place of prayer because God has in control of all things. We, when we come to him, are coming to the one who gives every good and every perfect gift that comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We pray as the Lord pray, taught his disciples to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And he does give us our daily bread. He does provide for all of our needs. We can have confidence in him. So we can learn thankfulness and we can learn confidence. And then we can learn something else. We can learn patience. We become patient in adversity. Patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit, but we can be very impatient at times. We want God to overcome the setbacks. We want God to bring the blessings. Yesterday, we um, think about the poor health and we want uh, the healing immediately, and so we do. And we can become so impatient with God. But you know, here is Joseph, and he learned patience. We think of what David said, I opened my mouth, or I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. And this godly quietness that we have, just resting in God, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of all that takes place, we have a quiet confidence in God. Benjamin Warfield, Warfield that I mentioned earlier on, was a world-renowned theologian. He taught at Princeton University for almost 34 years until his death in 1921. He is maybe famous for his famous book, The Inspiration and Authority of the Bible. But what most people don't know about Benjamin Warfield was in, that in 1876, at the age of 25, he was married to Annie Pierce Kincaid. And on their honeymoon in Germany, Annie was struck by lightning 
and it left her permanently paralyzed for the rest of her life for 39 years. A war field, there was no uh, healing at the end. There was no restoration like in Job. But he led her to rest in 1915 after 36 years, or 39 years. And for 39 years, he never left the side of his wife for more than two hours at a time. And because of Annie's extraordinary needs, Warfield almost never left home. But when he came to write his thoughts on Romans 8 and 28, he wrote, and I quote, the fundamental thought is the universal government of God. He's speaking about Romans 8 and 28. All things work together for good to them that love God. He says the fundamental thought is the universal government of God, godly providence. All that comes to you is under his control in hand. The secondary thought is the favor of God to those that love him. He governs all, then nothing, but good can befall those to whom he would do good. He will so govern all things that we shall reap only good from all that befalls us. He will so govern all things that we shall reap only good from all that befalls us. And you know, we look at the tapestry of life, and in many ways we see the, the little knots and the threads and the dark threads and all of the things that go to make up the tapestry of life. But only God's people and those that have learned from experience, really, can look at that tapestry at the back and the underside and say, God is making a beautiful picture in my life. God is working all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And oh, may we learn to rest in God today, because thank God the Lord does work all things together for good for his people. May God write the word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee that in the midst of the tapestry of life, we have a God who is in control. And our God, we thank thee today that we can leave our all in thy hands. We thank thee that we're not trusting in our own hands or in the hands of a multitude of others. But Lord, we thank thee that our lives are in thy hand. And O oh God, we just ask thee that thou wouldst enable us to rest in our God today. Bless thy word right upon our hearts. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. wonder if we could um, uh, sing a few verses of that um, last hymn. Um, Does Jesus care when my heart is paying too deeply for mirth or so? 426, as the burdens press and the cares distress, and the day grows weary and long. Um, we... Um, We'll uh, sing the uh, first two verses of the hymn, and let's just stand as we sing. 426, Does Jesus Care When My Heart Is Pained?
Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we pray that we might rest in thy care and in thy keeping both now and in the incoming days. We pray that thou wouldst be with us throughout this day and we pray that we might have confidence in our God. We thank thee that he weaves a wonderful picture at the end of the day. And so, gracious God, we just commit our ways to thee. Bless us now and take us to our homes in safety and be with us throughout this day. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.